Fear such as Kang had never experienced shriveled his heart. He had faced death in battle, and he'd known despair and anger, but never this weakening, numbing, debilitating terror. The Sivaks had shoved a gag in his mouth, and he was pitifully grateful, for he felt a scream welling up inside him, and he could not stop it. He would die a shrieking, pitiful wretch. But he would not die. That was the horror. He would live in a hundred bodies, each of their hundred minds left with some dim, vague memory of what he had been, and, most awful, what he could never be. General Maranta lifted the globe over Kang's head. The general began to chant. Kang heard the frantic beating of his own heart fill the chamber. A clang, as of a sword crashing down on a metal helm, rang out. One of the queen's own pitched to the floor alongside Kang, unconscious. His partner fell on top of him. Kang twisted around to see Granik and Slith, weapons in hand. Beside them stood Thesic. She raised her hand, pointed at Maranta, and began to chant. Words of a magic spell twined around the general, words spoken in a voice that was higher pitched, musical, sweeter, and nearly as powerful. Maranta's concentration broke. His chanting halted. He turned to see who had interrupted his spell and stared in wide-eyed astonishment. He recognized the spell Thesic was casting. He foresaw the danger. With no time for a counterspell, he flung at her the only weapon he possessed, the black globe. The aim was wild. The crystal globe flew harmlessly past Thesic and fell to the floor. The globe rolled out into the chamber and was lost among the feet of the capax. White-hot flame flashed from Thesic's fingertips. The flame shot across the room in a breath-snatching wave of fire, engulfed General Maranta. Kang felt the heat of the flames burning his scales, and then Granik had seized hold of his commander and began dragging him backward out of danger. Maranta screamed in pain. He danced and flailed about, batting himself with his arms, trying to put out the magical fire. "'Don't let him die!' Kang ordered frantically. "'Do something! Put out the flames!' But, sir, Slith protested angrily, he tried to kill me. You know what happens when an Aurak dies, Kang yelled over the roar of the flames. Oh, hell, right, sir, said Slith, jumping to his feet. Good point. Cut the commander loose, he ordered, handing the knife to Thesic. General Maranta had fallen to the floor, was writhing in agony, flopping and thrashing and screaming. Slith and Granik tried to approach the general, hoping to beat out the flames, but the fire was now too strong, the heat too intense. They could hear his flesh pop and sizzle in the heat. The smell was nauseating. Maranta's shrieks were horrible to hear. I don't think there's much we can do, sir, Slith cried. Run for it, Kang shouted. Bring those Sivaks. He gestured to the two unconscious Sivaks on the floor. Slith shook his head. Come on, Granik, grab one of these bastards. Kang's feet were untied, if his hands weren't. He started to run. Then he saw Thesic frozen in horror, staring at the dying general. I didn't mean, she whimpered. Kang caught hold of her. You did what you had to do, Thesic. Now we have to run. She gulped, nodded. Granik lifted one of the unconscious Sivaks, swept him up in his arms. Using his powerful wings and legs, he propelled both of them halfway across the chamber in a flapping leap. Slith was also using his wings, dragging his Sivak along like a vulture with an overlarge kill. Kang dashed after them. He was about to take to the air himself when he saw, out of the corner of his eye, something glitter in the flames. 
The black crystal globe lay on the floor near the wall where it had rolled to a stop. Go on, he roared. Dodging sideways, he made a dive for the globe, clutching at it with both hands that were still bound at the wrists. He managed to snag it, but when he stood up he staggered, nearly lost his balance. He would have fallen, but there was Thesic's hand at his elbow, helping to steady him. You all right? he asked Thesic. She was wide-eyed, horror-stricken. Her eyes shifted in the direction of the flame-filled room. Don't look! Kang could see the general's body withering in the heat. The general's screams were trailing away to a dying gurgle. Clear the area, Kang bellowed. The chamber was still filled with Kapax. He could see his own troops at the far end, could see Fonrar looking for him and Thesic anxiously. Get everyone out of here, he shouted again. Granik tossed the CPAC through the illusionary door and then began herding the Kapax out of the chamber into the audience hall. Kang grabbed Thesic and raced for the door, running and flapping his wings until he thought his heart would burst from his chest. He had ceased to yell. He needed all his breath. The females were gone from the chamber with the exception of Fonrar. She had made certain her troops were safe in the audience hall, but she hadn't joined them. She was working to keep the Kapax moving, her gaze on Thesic and Kang. The general quit screaming. Down! Kang shouted and he plunged to the floor, dragging Thesic with him. He rolled over on top of her, covering her body with his own body and his wings. He heard thuds and thumps all around him, those left in the room obeying his orders, and then another body was alongside his. Fonrar flung herself down beside Thesic, flung her own arm and wings protectively over her friend. Green light flickered against Kang's eyelids. A wave of searing heat washed over him. The air was charged with electricity that crackled painfully through his body. Fonrar's hand found his arm, clutched him convulsively. A thunderous boom shook the bastion. The floor dropped out from under Kang, then rose up to meet him, knocking the breath from his lungs. Debris rained down from the ceiling. If the building collapsed, they would be buried under tons of hard-baked mud and wood. Hold, damn you, Kang told the building. Hold, hold. A crash came behind him. The general's quarters had become his tomb, if one could actually speak of entombing whatever ashes were left of the Orac. The bastion gave a shudder, and Kang's heart stopped beating. Fonrar's grip on his arm tightened, her claws gouging him painfully. The building shuddered, and then was still. The bastion held. Kang took back all the nasty things he'd said about the construction workers. They had not built a pretty structure, but the gods bless them, they had built a secure one. He clambered to his feet, throwing off dust and the odd bit of chipped mortar. He looked over at Fonrar. Her face was covered with rock dust. Blood trickled down past her eye from a cut on the head, but she smiled at him reassuringly. Between them they helped Thesic to stand. She was trembling and wobbly, more from the shock of the horror she had witnessed than from the blast. I killed him, Fawn, Thesic said thickly. But what else could I do? Nothing, Thesic, Fonrar said soothingly, putting her arms around her friend. Nothing. Come along, don't think about it. It's all over. Thesic shivered and shook her head. Will she be all right? 
Kang asked, managing to free himself from the bonds that bound his wrists. He stuffed the globe away safely into his webbing. Yes, sir, said Fonrar. I'll take care of her. Sir, Granik loomed up in front of him. Subcommander Slith sent me to see if you were safe and to tell you that you're needed in the audience hall. Fast. Several K-Packs were jammed inside the door, trying to flee the terror of the inner chamber. Granik picked them up and tossed them aside, opening the way for Kang. He emerged into the audience hall to find all of the armed and armored draconians on their feet, weapons drawn, facing Slith and his small force of females. One of the Queen's own had regained consciousness. He was on his feet, pointing at Slith. They killed the general, he was saying. They are traitors. Slay them. That's an order. The draconians started to advance. Slith stood with his sword drawn, the females with their weapons ranged around him. You blasted lizard, Granik swore, shaking his fist at him, and to think I carried you to safety. Kang gripped his battle-axe. He had worked so hard to save his people, and now his people were going to repay the favor by killing not only him but their own future. I have an idea, sir, Slith said. An idea would be much appreciated about now, Kang said in grim tones. Tell them to halt, said Slith. Kang glared at him. I mean it, sir, Slith was insistent. You outrank that bastard. Maranta, trained the draconians to strict obedience. Make it your best, arrogant, you sons of bitches, I'm your superior officer order to halt, sir. You do that really well. Kang chose to ignore that comment. Walking forward, making himself an excellent target, should any of these Dracos choose to attack, he threw out his chest, raised his hand with an imperious gesture, and shouted, Company will halt! Halt! To his complete and utter shock and surprise, the company halted. The Queen's own, hissing in fury, opened his mouth. Kang nodded to Granik, who gave the Sivak a tap on the head. The Sivak slumped to the floor, unconscious once again. Kang breathed a sigh. "'Good to see you're still in one piece, sir,' said Slith, grinning. "'No offense, but I wouldn't want a hundred of you. I'd be saluting every time I turned around.' "'And I don't think the world's ready for a thousand of you, either,' Kang said, smiling back. He looked out over the assembled troops who were standing at attention, awaiting orders. "'Now!' Let's go fight the real battle, Kang said. Chapter 20 Kang had completely lost track of time below ground. Days might have passed, or years. They might emerge from the bastion to find the goblins had slaughtered every draconian in the fort and were taking possession. He had forgotten about the battle against the goblins during his terrible struggles with the general. He remembered it clearly enough now, and wondered if all that had been for nothing, if he was destined to die ignominiously, a goblin arrow through his throat. Sir, if we thread this maze, it'll take us a year and a day to get all these troops out of here, Slith observed. You're right, said Kang, and after that blast, some of the tunnels have probably collapsed. Don't bother to thread the maze. Put these kapaks to work bashing holes in the walls. I need them up there as fast as possible. Yes, sir, Slith ran off, shouting orders. Kang turned to look for Fanrar, 
found her waiting at his shoulder, sword in hand, ready to stand or fall alongside him. He allowed himself a brief moment of pure pleasure, then wrenched himself back to duty. They weren't out of this yet. Where's Thessic? Here, sir, said Thessic. She managed a wan smile. I'm fine, sir, thank you. I need you, Thessic, said Kang. I have to get out of this maze and back outside fast. I can guide you, sir, said Thessic. I know the way. Granik, Kang said. Stick to me like that brown goo. He looked at Fonrar. I have no other bodyguard. Will you and your troop act as one for me? We would be honored, sir, Fonrar said, glowing so brightly that her scales seemed to shimmer. Let's move, Kang gestured. Thessic took the lead. She traversed the maze unerringly, never faltering, never losing her way. Kang and the females followed at a run. Behind them, they could hear the draconian army of dunderheads, as Slith had termed them, starting to claw through the walls like devouring rats. Ahead, echoing down the tunnel, they heard the sounds of battle, the clash of steel, snarls, and fierce growls. Huzud! Kang gasped. He'd forgotten about her in the excitement, forgotten that he'd left her alone to defend the entrance to the bastion. If the goblins had broken through, she might be defending against an army. But she wasn't fighting goblins. Hazud stood blocking the entryway, battling the Queen's own, who were attempting to force their way inside. She had lowered the portcullis. One Sivak lay groaning beneath it. Two others were attempting to rip the portcullis down, while four more, armed with pikes, thrust the pikes through the portcullis and fended off Huzud, kept her from interfering with the work. Huzud bled from numerous wounds, but she grinned as she fought, taunting her attackers. Her sword flashed in the light of the fires burning in the fort beyond. She had sliced off the iron points of one of the pikes. The Sivak, holding that one, was now poking at her with the end of the splintered pole. Several of the Sivaks were bleeding from wounds where Huzud had darted in to slice at them with her sword. Get away from there, Kang shouted down the corridor, and he had the amazing satisfaction of seeing the Queen's own obey. They vanished from in front of the portcullis. I'm getting good at this, Kang thought to himself. Huzud turned at his shout, lifted her sword, and started to wave. A bolt from a crossbow sliced through the portcullis. The shaft struck Huzud in the chest with such force that it knocked her back against the wall. She crumpled to the ground. That was why the Sivaks had retreated, Kang realized. They were making room for the archer. Kang gave a great bellowing roar of fury and started to run forward, but he was elbowed and shoved and nearly trampled in the rush of the female draconians, who surged around him and passed him, shrieking in rage. Fonrar and Riel hit the portcullis with a rush, ripping it from the ceiling. Holding the portcullis in front of them, the two smashed into the front ranks of the Sivaks. Hanra and Shanra came behind, Hanra pausing to skewer the Sivak who had been pinned beneath the portcullis. The battle swirled out the entrance to the bastion. Kang lost sight of what was happening, but he could hear Fonrar's voice shouting orders, and Shanra's wild giggle. Go with them, Kang ordered Granik. Keep the damage to a minimum. I think the women have it pretty well in hand, sir, said Granik, peering over Kang's head. Not them, Kang swore. The queen's own. I don't want them all dead. 
I don't think they're any great loss, sir, Granick remarked, but he dashed ahead to carry out Kang's command. Kang hurried to the entrance of the bastion, where Thessic was holding Huzud cradled in her arms. Kang glanced at the bolt, saw only the tip protruding from Huzud's breast. He could smell her warm blood, if he couldn't see it, black against her black armor. He knelt by her side, her face was livid, her eyes huge and misted with pain. Looking up at him, she swallowed and grimaced. I don't think Kapak Spit will heal this, she said. Kang took hold of her hand. Soldiers know when death is upon them. He would not insult her with senseless lies or meaningless platitudes. Thank you, Huzud, he said quietly. Comrades, she said with a pain-filled smile. Comrades, he said, and he held her hand tight as he watched the life drain out of her eyes. Huzud's head fell back limply in Thessic's arms, the red hair flowing around her shoulders, glistening in the firelight. Huzud! Thessic cried, giving her a shake. Kang laid his hand on Thessic's arm. Lay her down. There's nothing more you can do for her. Thessic raised a stricken gaze. She's not... No, she can't be. I liked her. The other females returned, gathered around. The females had known death since they were small. Draconians had died almost from the day the females had been saved. But those deaths had been far distant, removed from them. Kang had seen to that. This was the first death that really hit close. This was as if one of them had died. Perhaps right now they were coming face to face with their own mortality, and that of those they loved. Comrades. Kang could not protect them from this. Nor, he realized, as he rose to face them, did he want to. They had grown up in a very short time, it seemed to him, but they had grown up. You avenged her death, he said to the twenty pairs of grieving eyes that were fixed on him. That was right and proper. After this is finished, we will give her an honorable burial. But now we have to go on. We have to keep fighting. Otherwise, her death will be meaningless. He heard a whimper. Shanra. Fonrar ordered her to pull herself together. Emerging from the bastion, Kang saw two more of the queen's own dead, including the one with the crossbow. His head had been cut off. Well, as Granick had observed, no great loss. Kang wasn't certain he wanted little Queen's Own running about anyway. The remainder of the Queen's Own stood in a group, glaring at Granick, who had appropriated the crossbow and had it trained on them. I thought you might want to have a word with them, sir, Granick said, catching sight of Kang. I told them that if a wing so much as quivered, someone would have a bolt instead of an eyeball. Well done, Kang growled. You men, he turned to the Queen's own, addressed them in what he would now forever think of as his best arrogant you sons of bitches manner. General Maranta is dead. I'm in command. What time of day is it? What's the status of the battle? The Queen's own gaped at him. We don't believe you, said one sullenly. Fine, don't believe me. I still outrank you, Kang roared. What's the goddamn status of the goddamn battle? Their eyes shifted to Granick and the crossbow. It's near dawn, sir. 
We held against the first assault, said the officer finally. But we've taken heavy casualties. The goblins are regrouping. We expect them to attack at dawn. Throw at us everything they've got. Report to your commanding officer, Kang told them. There's nothing more you can do here. The Sivaks of the Queen's Own exchanged uncertain glances. They looked at Kang, grim, covered with blood and dust, at the squadron of tough, confident females ranged behind him, at the immense Granik, who stood holding the crossbow, picking up their dead the Queen's Own departed. This way, said Kang, and he and his troop headed back for the front gate at a run. The fort was quiet, except for the moaning of those who had been wounded, and for the occasional barked order from an officer. They passed charred, burned-out buildings. One entire block of structures was gone. Several of the fires started by goblin flaming arrows were raging out of control, with too few left to fight them. The air was filled with smoke that made breathing difficult, stung the eyes. Kang tried to see the drunken dragon, make certain it was safe and ready to launch, but the swirling smoke was too thick. Draconians lined the walls in silence, waiting to push back the next assault that would most likely be the last. They could not withstand a massive attack in force. Kang could not see from his vantage point, but he could feel a rumbling in the ground beneath his feet, and guessed that the goblins were trundling forward heavy siege engines. He pictured huge stones smashing into the rickety walls, or worse, into the fragile drunken dragon. They had to launch soon. They had to get the contraption off the ground before those stones started flying. A raucous blaring of horns announced the goblin advance. The draconians answered with their own horns and defiant jeers, urging the goblins to come on and be slaughtered. Kang reached his own area. The females gathered around him, looking uncertain, wondering what was happening. Kang peered through the smoke until he finally caught sight of one of his officers. He let out a roar. Gloth turned, saw him, came dashing up. Sir, thank the queen. Do we let the dragon loose now? Kang was about to answer when something buzzed past him with a sound like an angry hornet. Thessic gave a cry and clutched at her upper arm. The shaft of an arrow stuck out from her scales, quivering. Blood welled up between her fingers. The arrow had not come from over the wall. It had come from somewhere behind them. Kang whipped around to see two goblins crouched beside the wreckage of a storage shed, reloading short bows. Troop, charge, Fonrar ordered. Howling in rage at the injury done to one of their own, the females, led by Riel, dashed toward the goblins. Sir, Gloth cried in agony, should they be waving those swords around like that? They might cut themselves. Seeing death coming down on them, the two goblins dropped their bows and ran, but their short legs were no match for the draconians. Shanra sliced the head off one with a deft stroke. Riel spitted the other on the end of her sword, driving it clean through the goblin's breastbone. Lifting the goblin, she tossed the corpse onto a rubbish heap. I don't think they're going to cut themselves too badly, Kang said dryly. Don't let the dragon go yet. I have to see what's happening outside the walls. Wait for my signal before you release the tether. When you see Granik wave the regimental standard, cut the dragon loose. Yes, sir, Gloth replied, and with an amazed glance at the females and a puzzled shake of his head, he dashed off. 
Kang grabbed hold of a couple of passing draconian soldiers and was about to order them to find out where the goblins had breached the walls. But Fonrar was well ahead of him. Troop, she said, addressing the females. We've got to find where these goblins have broken through. You Bozaks and Sivaks, prepare to follow me. The females ran off, heading for the section of wall near the barracks. Kang's next concern was to make certain Thesic was all right and that she was removed to the safety of the barracks. He turned to issue those orders only to see a detail of Kapak females carrying Thesic in their arms, bearing her to safety under Fonrar's direction. Fonrar turned to wave at Kang. She's going to be fine, sir. You don't need to worry about us. You deal with the goblins. Good luck, sir. I'm to deal with the goblins, he thought. Like I dealt with monsters under the blankets and bears in the woods and nightmares and sniffles. They have faith in me. Please the gods wherever they are that I don't let them down. He turned to Granick, standing at his side as usual, quiet, reliable, waiting for orders. Fetch the standard and follow me. We're going to the gate. Granick grabbed the standard of the first Dragon Army engineers, which had been planted firmly at the base of the tether rope holding the drunken dragon in place. Four draconians under Dremen's command were straining to hang on to the tether, which was pulled taut, as if the ugly beast was eager to fly off and wreak havoc on its enemies. Not long now, Kang promised. Granick returned, bearing the standard. Kang ran toward the front gate, Granick loping along behind. Their route took them down a narrow street that ran between two regimental barracks. Passing a side street, Kang saw a regiment of armored draconians lined up in ranks. He wondered what in the abyss they were doing lollygagging down here when there was fighting to be done on the walls. Then he remembered. These dracos were the reaction force Maranta was holding back for a sally out the front gate. The general was no longer around to give them the order. Kang found their officer, recognized Prokel. I'm going to need you, Kang hollered over the shrieks and clatter and the thudding of boulders down into the compound. The siege engines had arrived. Wait for my orders. Prokel yelled back, General Maranta is dead, Kang shouted. Wait for my orders. Running off before the stunned Prokel could argue, Kang and Granick arrived at the gate to find the stairs leading up to the ramparts on the left side of the gate had caught fire filling the air with flame and smoke and imperiling the draconians fighting on top of the wall. No one could go up that way, and the draconians on top had no way down except flight. On the right, the staircase was clogged, with Boz climbing up and other Boz trying to climb down. A Boz stood at the top, cursing and yelling at another Boz at the bottom. Every so often a dead Boz would pitch off the wall, turning to stone as he fell. Kang wondered if these were veteran soldiers— or some of Maranta's dunderheads, not that it mattered. Without strong leadership and the chaos of battle, discipline would almost certainly break down. I'll handle this, sir, Granick said, and waded into the confusion. Move your tails, you damn dim-witted skinks, he yelled, and when no one seemed either able or inclined to obey, he began pushing, shoving, elbowing, and kicking his way up the stairs, with Kang following close behind. Move! Move! Boz fell left and right, tumbling over the railing, slammed back against the sides. Order was restored. Reaching the top of the wall, Kang was at last able to see clearly what was going on. Two goblin phalanxes had pushed to the walls, 
and were attempting to raise scaling ladders. Two hobgoblin phalanxes had moved in to try to batter down the gate. One phalanx had a battering ram covered with an iron shield to protect the hobgoblins carrying it from archery and boiling oil. Behind the ram, another phalanx of several hundred hobgoblins carried the banners of the general. Kang saw the gigantic hobgoblin leader himself laughing and joking with the members of his retinue as he watched the progress of the battle. Arrows thick as locusts hummed around Kang and Granik. One smashed into Kang's breastplate. Sir, Granik cried in shock. I'm not hurt, Kang yelled. Pulling the arrow out, he threw it down in disgust. He grabbed hold of a nearby Sivak, who was screaming defiance at the goblins below and taking aim at them with a javelin. Who's in charge here? Kang demanded, jerking the Sivak around to face him. The Sivak looked startled. Ah, uh, I don't know, sir. Aren't you? Kang released the Sivak, who tossed his javelin at the enemy. The next moment the Sivak fell back, an arrow in the eye. His shape shifted as he fell to the ground below, and he landed looking like the goblin who had slain him. Kang glanced about, saw no other officer. He took a look at that hob general, took a look at the sky. Despite being obscured by smoke, the dawn was coming. The sun was starting to rise. In the smoky, dusky half-light, the drunken dragon might almost look real. He reminded himself again that goblins were short-sighted. Granik, now! Kang yelled. Granik took a pace back and turned toward the interior of the fort. He raised the standard above his head and waved it once, twice. Then the flag jerked, wavered. A javelin hurled from a small ballista struck the huge draconian between shoulder blades. The blow carried Granik off the ramparts, sent him crashing to the ground right in the midst of a troop of Baas. The standard fell with him. As Kang watched Granik fall, time slowed. Granik fell slowly, so slowly, that it seemed to Kang as if he might reach out and snatch him back, snatch him back to his place on the wall beside Kang, snatch him back to life. The sound of battle died away. All Kang could hear was the flutter of flag as it spiraled down to land beside the body of the huge Sivak who had carried it so proudly. Sir! Someone jostled him. Sir, what are your orders? Kang turned his head. A group of veteran Baas was gathered around him. They clutched their bloody weapons in bloody hands, stared at him hopefully. Beyond them he could see more of his people fighting, dying. He looked back down to the ground but he could not see Granik or the standard amidst the chaos below. Sir, the boss said again, afraid and desperate, your orders. I'm to deal with the goblins. Please the gods wherever they are that I don't let my people down. The noise of battle returned to him with a roar. He grabbed hold of the nearest boss. You, you are now my standard bearer. Do you understand? Go and get that standard and bring it up here. Run, damn you, run! The boss blinked in surprise. This wasn't what he'd expected, but he'd asked for orders and he was quick to obey. He wasn't from Kang's regiment. Kang had no idea which regiment claimed ownership of the boss, but right now he was Kang's. He deployed the other boss, sent them to plug up holes in the wall where other Dracos had fallen, reminding them again that if they were next to a Bozak who died, they were to shove the corpse over the wall into the enemy ranks, so that the resultant explosion would take out the enemy, not friends. 
He wondered briefly if someone would shortly be tossing his corpse down in the melee below, dismissed that thought as being stupid and irrelevant. I have it, sir! The boss came running along the ramparts, carrying the standard. The flag was covered with blood, and no longer looked like the regimental standard, but Folkth would be watching for a flag, any flag, to wave four times. Lift up the standard, Kang ordered. Lift it up high, as high as you can. This is the flag of the First Dragon Army Engineers, son. We want everyone to see it. Yes, sir, said the boss. Risking his life, making himself an excellent target, he climbed up on top of a post and balanced there, his wings flapping gently. Arrows zipped around him, but none struck him. Wave it four times, Kang said. Back and forth. Once, twice, three times, four. Excellent. Hop down now and stand there and do nothing until I tell you otherwise. Kang waited tensely. He peered through the smoke, trying to see the horizon. The mists swirled and parted, and he saw blue sky. The day was going to dawn clear and fine. The sun's rays streaked across the sky in bands of purple and red, a spectacular sunrise, reminding him that the world he might soon be leaving was indeed a lovely place. He looked down, blinking, and trying to see through the smoke. The hobgoblins battered the gate with their iron-covered ram. Draconian arrows fired at them were having little effect, due to their heavy armor and the shielding. The gate trembled but held. Kang's engineers had reinforced it, but it wouldn't hold long. He looked back over his shoulder, and there was the drunken dragon, lifting up into that glory-streaked sky. Kang choked back a wild impulse to laugh hysterically. He knew he'd better, for the laugh might change in an instant to a sob. The dragon looked like no dragon Kang had ever seen. The dragon looked like no dragon ever born. It was the color of brown goo mixed with red clay. Its wings creaked as they raised and squeaked as they lowered. Its tail looked broken, for it hung at an odd angle. Flames from the numerous fires burning in the fort were reflected in its sword-blade teeth. Smoke coiled not only out of its nostrils, but out of every gap where wood and goo didn't quite meet. The drunken dragon probably wouldn't fool the goblins. They would be more likely to fall down on the ground, prostrate with laughter. Yet Kang was proud as he watched it creaking and squeaking and jerking on its tether. His men had done a good job against overwhelming odds. Look at that, will you? One veteran draconian snickered to another. But his comrade was fighting for his life and dared not risk looking. Those who did manage to catch a glimpse of the drunken dragon rising ponderously up out of the smoke shook their heads, rolled their eyes, and went back to the business of slaughter. That's all right, Kang told them. Sneer if you want. So it won't fool the goblins. It doesn't have to. All it has to do is fall down on top of them. He gargled, his words dying away in awe. The clunky, drunken dragon had vanished. In its place flew an enormous golden dragon, beautiful, awful. Gold scales flamed in the red-purple sunlight, dazzling the eye. Golden wings beat in a graceful motion. The gold's fearsome jaws parted in a terrible snarl of hatred and fury, showing its fangs sharp and gleaming. Kang staggered backward, nearly fell off the parapet. His first thought was that he'd gone mad. 
He was hallucinating. Wild ideas tore through his head. The Salamnic Knights had sent a gold to massacre them all. A gold had dropped out of the skies. But no. Dragon fear, he thought. I should be falling down and peeing myself with terror. All of us should, but I'm not. I don't feel the dragon fear, which meant that this gold wasn't real. Rational thought took hold again, though with a struggle. He could still hear the wheeze and clack and rattle of the hot air dragon. He could see the guy ropes falling away until only one rope remained, the fuse to light the keg bombs. The fuse was lit, flame creeping slowly along the rope. The drunken dragon was still there. The drunken dragon was the golden dragon. It was all an illusion, Kang realized. Someone had cast a powerful illusion spell. Someone had transformed his brown goo-covered hot air dragon into a beautiful, wondrous golden monster rising up out of the smoke and flame of battle. Now from all around came shouts and cries of astonishment, terror, fear. The cries were in two languages, golden and draconian. Friend and foe alike ceased their fighting and lifted their heads to stare. An illusion, Kang shouted in draconian. It's magic. Oh, never mind. He trusted that after their first surprise, the draconians would have sense enough to realize what was going on, and if they didn't, well, their fear would make it more realistic. The dragon floated slowly over the gate, the flapping of its wings wafting away the smoke, so that now it was clearly visible. A group of goblins had finally managed to plant one of their siege ladders and were starting to clamber over the side of the wall, swords gleaming, when the lead goblin looked up and saw a golden dragon hovering menacingly on top of him. He gave a shriek and fell backward, taking the ladder and all his comrades down with him. Up and down the ramparts, goblin battle cries changed to cries of terror. At the sight of the gold dragon, goblins, who had managed to reach the walls, dived head first over the ramparts. Others flung themselves from ladders or tried to scramble down, knocking off those beneath them. Goblin soldiers on the ground flung aside their weapons and turned to flee. Their shouts and screams and panicked retreat threw the ranks advancing behind them into confusion. Oblivious to his own safety, Kang leaned over the ramparts, staring out onto the field, trying to see the hobgoblin general. Smoke swirled before his eyes. He cursed it and flapped his hand at it. And then the smoke parted. The hobgoblin general was no longer joking and laughing. He was staring open-mouthed at the dragon. His retinue were pointing and, in some cases, starting to run for their lives. The hob's mouth shut with a snap. Then it opened again, thundering orders. He had been fooled at first, but like Kang, he had reached the same conclusion. He knew the dragon wasn't real, and he was trying to quell the panic, stop the stampede. His officers advanced onto the field, wielding whips and shouting commands. But for goblins mad with fear, the whips and shouting only increased the confusion. Kang started to do a little victory dance, then he noted that the thudding sound of the battering ram against the gate had not ceased. Cursing, he looked down at the hobgoblins. Either they had heard the orders of their general, or they were not intimidated by the sight of a golden dragon, or they had seen through the illusion. Whatever the reason, they had not ceased their efforts to take the gate, and the hobgoblin soldiers behind them held their positions. 
Kang regarded them with grudging admiration and even saluted their commander. The hobgoblins would all be dead in a few moments. Kang could afford to be generous. He glanced upward. The illusion of the golden dragon was gone for him. He could see the wing-flapping, clunky contraption sailing ponderously out over the gate. It was heading straight for the hobgoblin troops, straight for their general. The fuse... The fuse had gone out. Kang stared at the trailing fuse with sickening horror. It shouldn't have gone out. Slith had assured him that it would never go out. Wind would not blow it out. Rain would not soak it out. Yet it was out. Kang stared until his eyes ached, searching for a glimmer of fire, a tiny spark. He tried to convince himself that it was still burning, but at last he was forced to admit in despair that Slith had made a mistake. The drunken dragon was going to fly serenely over the goblins and keep on flying until all the hot air had drained from it and it made an ignominious landing twenty miles distant, ending up as nothing more than a corpse of broken pine wood covered with brown goo. Flaming arrows would do the trick. Kang searched about frantically for an arrow that might have been fired but hadn't gone out. Of course, now that he wanted flaming arrows, the goblins had quit firing them. He would signal his troops, see if he could make them understand the problem. From their vantage point, they would not be able to see the dangling fuse. They would not know that it had gone out. Kang turned to his new standard-bearer to find nothing but a pile of dust and no standard. He had no idea where it had gone, guessed that it had fallen over the battlements and was lying somewhere on the wrong side of the wall. The drunken dragon flew over the gate with a hundred-foot clearance. Magic, Kang thought desperately. If I had my magic, I could cast a spell to blow up the dragon. Other draconians had magic. He'd seen that for himself. The magic within them had not died with the departure of the Queen of Darkness. Kang remembered very clearly how he would kneel before the altar, whisper his prayers to the Queen. He remembered her blessings falling on him, remembered the thrill that burned through his body as the magic filled him. He closed his eyes and sought inside himself, but to no avail. Others might have magic still. He had lost it, as he had lost his queen, as he had lost his faith. And though his queen had abandoned him years before, he felt abandoned by her once again. Anger burned in place of magic. She would once more fail her people. Or maybe not. Kang's hand went to his webbing, pawed through it frantically. His fingers closed over the magical artifact, Drakart's heart. He no longer possessed any magical power, but this artifact did. He had intended to destroy it anyhow. You'll fulfill your maker's design anyway, Kang told it, holding the black crystal in his hand. If this works, you'll save the draconian race. The drunken dragon's head was over the hobgoblin general. The hob was pointing up at it, laughing uproariously. Gritting his teeth, exerting all his strength, Kang closed his fingers convulsively over the crystal. The heart of Drakehart shattered. Shards of broken crystal pierced Kang's flesh. Blood streamed from his hand. Pain flooded his body, and so did the magic. He was astounded at the power that was so bright and flaring it burned away the terrible pain. 
His heart beat frantically. His blood boiled. He feared that he had made a deadly mistake, that the magic would consume him, that he wouldn't be able to control it. With a great cry, he concentrated on the dragon and on his desperate need. He began to chant the oft-recited well-known and beloved words to a prayer that was a magical spell. The magic gathered itself inside him into a ball of flame that burst out from the fingers of his bloody hand. The flame was like a meteor blazing through the air, trailing white-hot sparks that burned through anything they touched, even the iron casing of the battering ram. The fireball struck the drunken dragon in the tail section, setting it instantly ablaze. The magical fire raced along the pinewood frame, eagerly licked up the brown goo. Holes gaped in the wings. The drunken dragon began to descend rapidly. Now the hobgoblins staring up at it were afraid. They wavered in their attack. The flames reached the keg bombs. A ball of light, blue-white, dazzling, consumed the drunken dragon. Kang, staring straight at it, was momentarily blinded. A boom, as of a hundred thunderclaps, shook the fortress and knocked Kang to his knees. A wave of heat struck him. He heard screams, screams of dying hobgoblins, screams of goblins being burned alive, terrible screams. He staggered to his feet, rubbing his eyes, frantic to see what was happening. The sight that met his eyes was appalling. The dragon had exploded at a height of about ten feet above the hobgoblin phalanx. The liquid inside the keg bombs spewed out with explosive force and ignited, raining flaming death on top of the hobs. The hobgoblin general's retinue had taken much of the initial blast. Kang caught a glimpse of the hobgoblin general. His chest and arms were on fire. He was shrieking impotent curses, and then Kang lost sight of him as the burning undercarriage of the dragon came crashing down on the general and his staff. Kang hoped to see that this had finished the hobgoblins around the gate. He cursed, swore. The goblins that had survived were fleeing, but the phalanx of hobgoblins, though their numbers were decimated, was still holding its position, trying to batter down the gate. The death of their general seemed only to fuel their determination. I'd like to meet whoever trained this lot, Kang thought savagely. I'd like to shake his hand, right before I cut off his head. Draconians were cheering on the walls. Kang ordered them to shut their damn mouths and start firing arrows. He told them, throw spears, throw rocks, do anything that could stop that advance. He clattered down the stairs to where he had left the Ninth Infantry. Hopefully they were as disciplined as the hobgoblins. He found them standing in ranks, waiting. Prokel, Kang shouted. Follow me. Prokel hesitated. You said General Maranta was dead. How? Kang shook his head. Even if he could, he didn't have time to explain. The troops would either follow him or they wouldn't. Ignoring Prokel, Kang pointed at the front gate. The hobgoblins are trying to batter down the gate, men. They must not succeed. I'm going out there to fight them. Are you with me? He turned and started for the gate at a run. If no one followed, this last battle of his was going to be one for the bards. And then he heard behind him Prokel's voice. Ninth Infantry, charge! The heavily armed and armored troops of the Ninth came pounding after Kang, chanting their regimental battle cry in deep voices. Open the gate! Open the gate! Kang yelled to the troops manning the lower gate approach. 
Looking behind him, the draconians at the gate saw the infantry advancing and understood. They pulled back the bracing bars just as the ninth arrived. The gate swung open, sending startled Hobbs tumbling inside the compound. The ninth heavy infantry struck the hobgoblin formation like a hammer striking a block of ice. The hobgoblin formation shattered. They dropped their battering ram. Some turned to run. Others, seeing that there was no hope of escape, drew their swords and prepared to fight to the death. Kang was in the vanguard of the charge. His momentum carried him through the hobgoblin ranks and outside the gates, watching the enemy retreat before him. He had no enemy to fight, and he paused to catch his breath and take stock of the situation. A patch of color caught his eye. His regimental standard lay on the ground. He raced to snatch it up, hacking open the skulls of two goblins on the way. Kang returned to the gate and found the Ninth Infantry swarming out onto the battlefield. The Hobbs and Gobbos were on the run now. The Ninth was chasing down those who had had the bad luck to be in the rear. Kang stood in the middle of the open gate, raised his voice in a loud bellow that sounded above the turmoil. Attack! The enemy's on the run! Kang waved the banner as he yelled. Attack! A cheer went up from the Rampart's defenders. Many were so excited that they leapt off the wall using their wings to carry them to the ground. They rallied around Kang, and in less than a minute he was leading over a hundred draconians. Charge! he yelled and ran forward. Goblins and hobgoblins were fleeing in all directions. The burning wreckage of the drunken dragon belched black smoke into the air. The ninth was hacking its gory way to the right. Kang took his formation off the road to the left, smashed into the rear of the fleeing goblins. Kang continued his charge another fifty feet, then he stopped with the realization that he was too weak to go any farther. His hand throbbed with a pain that seemed to lance up his arm and into his gut. He was astonished to see the hand was badly mangled, two of his fingers hanging by the tendons. The pole of the standard he had been waving was covered with his own blood. He tried to hold on to the standard, to keep it from falling to the ground, but he had no strength left. I've got it, sir, said a voice, and a hand reached out, took hold of the standard, and planted it firmly at Kang's feet. The voice was familiar, but it was coming out of a hobgoblin's mouth. And then the hobgoblin disappeared, and there was Slith, grinning so that he showed every single one of his teeth. Damn fine, wasn't it, sir? Slith cried. Damn fine, Kang echoed. He was weak from loss of blood, but he was determined to remain conscious. He wasn't going to miss the end of this. What in abyss did you do to yourself, sir? Slith demanded, seeing Kang's hand that was no longer recognizable as a hand, but looked more like something that had come out of the end of a meat grinder. We have to bandage that, sir. Stop the bleeding. Slith searched about for material to use for a bandage, but he wore nothing but armor and webbing, the same as Kang. Slith's gaze fell on the standard. Ignoring Kang's shocked protest, Slith ripped the banner from its pole and began wrapping the stained and muddy cloth around Kang's hand. That standard has Granik's blood on it, Kang said. Slith paused in his bandaging, looked up, alarmed. Is he? Kang nodded, sighed heavily. Javelin got him. Slith lowered his head, went back to work. Damn gobbles, Slith muttered. Granik was a good soldier. Yes, said Kang. 
the soldier's epitaph, the best there could be. Yes, he was. Huzud's dead, too. Yes, sir. We found her body on our way out of the bastion. I left an honor guard with her, sir. I thought you'd want that. She was probably the only human who ever gave her life for a draconian, Kang said. No, thought Kang, that wasn't quite true. Huzud gave her life for honor, for a vision given to her by a goddess, for faith in that vision. That would be Huzud's epitaph. There you are, sir, Slith said, finishing the bandaging with a neat knot. Some kapak spit, and you'll be good as snow. Kang smiled faintly. Slith continued talking, saying something about how he and his troop of dunderheads had managed to finally make their way out of the bastion. They had arrived at the gate in time to see the dragon explode. Hearing Kang's order to charge the gate, Slith had tried to reach him, but Ninth Infantry had been in the way. Once the Ninth cleared the road, we came out and saw you waving the standard. We chased after you, but you were too fast. There they go, sir, Slith added proudly. Look at them. The first Dragon Army engineers dashed past, shouting their battle cry, hunting goblins. Their officers saluted as they ran past him. Kang returned the salute, though his hand hurt like hell. He looked out over the battlefield. Dead goblins and hobgoblins littered the field for as far as Kang could see. Draconians could be seen in the distance, chasing small bands of goblins. They were meeting little resistance, taking no prisoners. We won, Kang realized dazedly. The day is ours. We won. Slith, he said after a moment, when he could speak past the choking sensation in his throat. Do you have any of those keg bombs left? Why, sir? Slith looked around in consternation. Do we need them? I do, said Kang. Slith caught his commander's smile and understood. Yeah, I saved one, sir, and a couple of mugs to go with it. The two turned and headed slowly back to the fort. Kang refused Slith's offer of assistance. Kang's hand throbbed so that he had to grit his teeth against the pain. He was lightheaded from loss of blood and weak, but he'd be damned if he was ever again going to be carted around on any blasted litter. He passed the charred carcass of the shattered dragon and gave it a fond nod and a salute. Smoke billowed up from the dragon's remains and from a hundred small fires still blazing inside the fort. The fort itself was in sad shape. Now that Kang looked at it, he was amazed they had held it for as long as they had. Parts of the wooden stockade were completely demolished. Walking inside the gate, Kang saw piles of dust, dead boz, Pools of acid, dead kapaks. Some of the dead sivaks still wore the look of their killers. Others had gone back to their original form. The draconians had won, but the cost had come high. The euphoria Kang experienced over the victory began to fade. He bowed his head. His walk slowed. He felt sick and faint. He was about to tell Slift to send for the litter-bearers when the cheering began cheering and the clash of swords against shields. Startled, Kang looked up. Draconians lined the ramparts. Other draconians thronged around the broken gate. They were all cheering lustily. Kang glanced around. What is it? he asked in confusion. What's all this for? 
Slith smiled. You, sir. Me? Kang was astounded. No. At the sight of him, the Draconians' cheers increased in volume, sending echoes booming from the surrounding mountains. He could have no doubt. All eyes were on him. They clashed their swords against their shields. Those holding spears began a rhythmic thumping of the butts into the ground. Others stamped their feet in time. They parted ranks to form an aisle, allow him a clear passage into the fort. Slith fell back. Go on ahead, sir. Congratulations. You've earned this. Kang paused, overcome with emotion. Not just me, he said. They all... He couldn't finish. He choked, cleared his throat. Find Granik, he whispered hoarsely. And see to Huzud. Yes, sir, Slith replied. Lifting his head, bracing his shoulders, Kang drew in a deep breath and walked among the rows of his cheering people. Chapter 21 The barracks of the First Dragon Army Engineers were among the few buildings still standing after the battle. Kang ordered that these now be used to house the wounded. He gave that order from his bed, for he had no sooner set his foot inside the fort than the females, led by a concerned Fonrar, had cut short the festivities and hustled him off to be fussed over, treated, and pampered, all of which he outwardly protested, inwardly enjoyed. "'How's this?' were the first words he asked as they helped him inside. "'She's fine, sir,' said Fonrar. "'Just fine. She's right here, in fact.' Thessic appeared, leaned over him. "'How are you, sir?' she asked anxiously. "'Could I get you something to eat?' Kang shook his head, stared intently at her and Fonrar. They both looked extremely innocent, a look he remembered from childhood, a look that meant that they had been doing something they shouldn't. "'You cast the illusion spell on the dragon,' Kang said suddenly, weakly. Thessic and Fonrar exchanged guilty glances. "'I'm sorry, sir,' Thessic said. "'I don't know what came over me. It was a wonderful dragon, sir, but it just—' just seemed to need a little something. I hope you're not angry. It did need a little something, Kang said. You may have saved the day. I'm proud of you. Proud of you all. But tell me one thing, Thess. You've never seen a golden dragon. How did you know what one would look like? Begging your pardon, sir, Thessic replied, but I have seen golden dragons. I see a golden dragon in my dreams almost every day. I'm not sure why. It's very strange. Do you understand, sir? Yes, Thessic, yes, I do, Kang replied, who sometimes saw a bronze dragon in his dreams. He understood. He had hoped she never would. Kang refused to be carried to his own room. He insisted on being in the center of operations in order to see and supervise. As it turned out, he was left with little to do. The females took charge, and within an hour after the battle, the wounded were being brought inside and attended. Kang lay in his bed. 
He had a mug of cactus juice in one hand, the other was covered with capac spit. Thanks to that and Rial's surprising skill with a needle, Kang's right hand retained the requisite number of fingers. Everyone assured him that the hand would be as good as before, but he knew they were lying to placate him. He had suffered nerve damage, severed tendons. Not even the miracles of Kapak spit could restore these. He would never hold an axe again. That knowledge did not bother him as much as it might have. Once he would have been devastated, but not now. Not since he had made his decision. Fonrar had removed the blood-stained standard and carried it off somewhere. When he asked about it, she told him to rest and leave the work to others. He was too tired to argue. He rested and watched with pleasure, Fonrar directing operations. She was too busy to speak to him, but she smiled at him every time she passed him, a comradely smile that warmed his heart better than a mug of cactus juice. Kang had just dozed off when he felt a hand shake him. He groaned and woke with a start. What? What's wrong? Sorry for waking you, sir, said Slith, but I thought you'd want to see this. Kang lifted his head. Granik, he exclaimed. The big Sivak lay on his stomach on the litter. He lay on his stomach because the javelin that had felled him was still sticking out from between his shoulder blades. We found him like that, sir, Slith said, regarding Granik in admiration. He was lying on the ground, cussing up a storm, and shouting for someone to help him pull that toothpick out of him. Will he be all right? Kang asked anxiously, propping himself up on one elbow. Yeah, he'll be fine, said Slith. You know, a little K-Pack spit. Kang eased himself back down. Thanks, Slith. You just disproved a theory of mine. What would that be, sir? That no one ever wakes me up to tell me good news. Yes, sir, Slim grinned. Go back to sleep, sir. I will. Oh, and Slith, Kang said, closing his eyes. I want everyone in our regiment out on the parade ground tomorrow morning. I have an announcement to make. The first Dragon Army engineers formed up in squadron ranks. Each squadron second-in-command handed command over to the squadron commanders. Slith took the field and ordered the squadrons to report their strengths. Each, in turn, reported the number of active on parade, on light duties, or wounded. Other draconians from other regiments halted to watch, wondering what was going on. Smoke still hung in the air, although today the smoke was not from the burning fort. Those fires had at last been put out but from the huge pyre of goblin corpses. The stench was horrific, but wonderfully sweet to the draconians. Kang marched onto the field. His hand was bandaged, but he returned Slith's salute with precision. Slith marched to the right side of the first squadron and took his customary position, that of the second in command. Kang paused to look out over the regiment, standing on parade at attention. The regiment looked far too small. Only one hundred and three soldiers stood on the field. Regiment, 
Stand at ease, Kang said. I have an announcement to make. But first, I have a promotion. The regiment rustled, scales clicked. There hadn't been a promotion in the regiment since Granick had become standard-bearer at the beginning of their trek across the plains of dust over a year ago. Kang drew himself up. Subcommander Slith, he yelled. Taken by surprise, Slith didn't move. He looked over at Gloth, thinking perhaps that he'd misunderstood. Gloth hissed, Yeah, you. Slith came to attention, saluted. Sir, he said, and marched smartly out to stand in front of the commander. Kang returned the salute. He reached forward, as Slith stood at attention, and removed the Sivak's harness. Placing Slith's harness on the ground, Kang unbelted his own and slung it around Slith's shoulders. Slith continued to stand at attention, but he appeared absolutely dumbfounded. Kang ignored him and addressed the troops. Regiment, today's orders. As of today, Subcommander Slith is promoted to commander and is hereby placed in command of the 1st Dragon Army Engineer Regiment. His post takes effect immediately. That is all. Kang saluted Slith and turned to leave. Slith came to his senses. Sir! Kang looked back, stopped. Sir, said Slith softly. Are you sure? Kang smiled. Never more sure of anything in my life. Slith lowered his gaze a moment, overcome. Then he lifted his head. Sir, we have something for you. Slith turned to the regiment, and in his best arrogant you sons of bitches command voice, he yelled, Standard bearer, bring forth the standard. Granick lay on a litter beside the field, propped up on one arm. He couldn't stand yet, but he wouldn't have missed this for the world. Cressel held the standard on parade. The bloody flag had been hung on the battered, blood-stained pole. At a nod from Granick, Cressel marched up to Slith, lowered the standard to horizontal. Slith took the standard from the pole, detaching the ties. Folding the standard, he turned to Kang. Sir, this is for you. We thought you should have it. Especially now that you've promoted me to your position, sir. Kang accepted the standard wordlessly. He couldn't say a thing. Slith nodded again to Cressel, who reached inside his leather tunic and pulled out another cloth. He unfolded it and handed it to Slith. The flag was an exact replica of the one they had handed to Kang, except that below the twenty-three battle honors, a new one had been added. Maranta's Fort. Anyone who saw the banner would know that this regiment had fought there and won. Kang turned and marched from the field, leaving Slith in command. He didn't look back to see what Slith did, what orders he gave, Kang knew that everything would be done exactly as he would have done it, or better. Kang had yet another ceremony to attend, but this one he did not plan. At Sub-Commander Fonrar's request, Kang had permitted the females to offer Huzud the final honors due to her. Fonrar asked Kang about the burial customs of humans. 
were there special rituals they should follow. Kang told her that the customs varied widely. Some humans entombed their dead with treasure. Others burned the bodies, kept the ashes in urns. Still others built rock cairns over the body. Fonrar absorbed this information thoughtfully, then went to confer with the others. Late afternoon, as the sun sank behind the mountains, smearing the sky with blood-red, purple, and gold, Kang and Slith and all the other draconians of the First Dragon Army engineers stood at attention as six Boz draconians, moving with slow and solemn step, bore Huzud's body on a shield to a bier constructed of what remained of the drunken dragon. They placed Huzud's body on the wood bier. Carefully they arranged her red hair around her shoulders. They had removed her armor, wrapped the body in cloth. Thessic stood at the head of the bier, holding Huzud's helm in her hands. Huzud's sword and armor lay at the foot of the bier. At a signal from Fonrar, the Baas poured incense taken from the bastion over the cloth and over the bier. The smell of the incense was pungent, sweet. Riel stood by, holding a flaring torch. Fonrar said a simple eulogy. She was our sister. Kang said in his heart, She was my friend. At Fonrar's signal, Riel laid the torch to the wood. Flames crackled, and soon the beer was engulfed in fire, the heat so intense that Thessic, holding Huzud's helm, was forced to step back. Slith ordered the troops dismissed. The draconians left, returned to their duties. The females remained with the beer. They would remain throughout the night until the ashes cooled. We want to take her with us, Fonrar told Kang. We don't want to leave her here alone. A week after the battle, most of the wounded were now completely healed, including Kang and Granik, who had once again taken up his duty as head of Kang's bodyguard. Kang had tried to argue with the big Sivak, saying that now he was retired, he shouldn't have a bodyguard. But Granik was adamant. On orders from Commander Slith, Kang was to have an honorary bodyguard. If Kang tried to argue, Slith had threatened to pull rank on him. Kang was in his own quarters studying a map of the territory, a map that had once belonged to General Maranta. Sir, said Granik, opening the door, Commanders Vertax, Prokel, Slith, and Trock to see you, sir. Trock, Kang looked up. He took over from Commander Yakano, sir, Granik replied. Oh, yes, Kang nodded. Yakano had been killed in the outset of the battle, impaled on a goblin spear. And Commander Mitrak of the Queen's Zone, Granik added. His voice held no inflection, but at this last, Granik rolled his eyes. Kang rumbled deep in his throat. Ask them to step in. He rose to his feet to greet them, offering his left hand to shake. He invited them to sit down, sent Granik for a jug of cactus juice. Kang, said Vertex, we'll get right to the point. We understand from Commander Slith that you've retired from the military, is that true? Yes, Kang answered. He frowned, cast a glance at Slith, who pretended not to see him. It is. 
Prokel shook his head. A goddamn waste. Kang, we want you to take Maranta's place. We want to make you general. Kang stared at them, taken aback. He looked at Mitrat, saw even the commander of the Queen's Own give a stiff nod. Kang started to speak, but Vertex struck in. You deserve it, Kang. I have to admit I thought your idea of that wooden dragon was ridiculous at first. Why didn't you tell us you planned to cast an illusion spell on it? I know, he forestalled Kang, who would have spoken. Better to take us all by surprise. Our reactions were more realistic. I nearly lost my lunch when I saw that monster overhead. Brilliance, sheer brilliance, Vertax raved, tapping his claws on the table in applause. You saved us, Kang. From the goblins, said Kang, eyeing them. From the goblins, said Vertex, heartily enthusiastic. Kang said nothing. He sat quite still, watching, waiting. Vertex lost some of his enthusiasm. He and Truk exchanged uneasy glances. Prokel squirmed in his chair. Mitrat stared straight ahead. Did you gentlemen know Maranta had in his possession the heart of Drakart? Kang asked. No, Prokel began. We knew, Kang, Vertex cut in, not meeting Kang's stern gaze. You knew, Prokel, don't try to convince us otherwise. You had to know. The Ninth brought all sorts of loot and magical artifacts with them from the temple at Naraka. I didn't know, Prokel insisted stubbornly. The heart was only a rumor, a legend, like those blamed dragon lances. Remember how we laughed when we first heard about those? I talked to Dracos who actually saw it, Vertex persisted. Oh, sure you did. When you penned them down, it was always someone's buddy's friend who saw it. Vertex finally looked at Kang directly. Whether we knew about it or we didn't, I swear to you, Kang, we didn't know that Maranta was crazy enough to use it. I was like you. I thought my men had just deserted. I never thought my men had deserted, Kang said. He shifted his gaze to Mitrat. The commander of the Queen's Own had neither moved nor spoken.